we are going to be getting back into 2 Peter chapter 2 here, and we are doing something a little different here. I am controlling things here with my iPad, and hopefully things won't blow up in my face this morning here. So we're trying some new technology here, and I uh, hope that you will bear with us. So today we are continuing in our series, our fourth message out of 2 Peter. I don't know about you, but I've been so excited to do this to preach through a book of the Bible together with Chuck that normally we don't preach through. I've never preached through 2 Peter. And, and sometimes we kind of, uh, the benefit of doing something like this is that it forces us to go through parts of the Bible that we normally wouldn't have gone through because the Bible is so rich and all of it is the word of God. So I've been having a great time studying more deeply in 2 Peter and I hope you have been as well. And today we're gonna be looking at the second half of chapter two picking up from where Chuck left off last week. And just to recap, in 2 Peter chapter 1, chapter 1 was an encouraging reminder to us that we have everything we need to live a godly life. If we will take a hold of God's precious and very great promises, if we would just take a hold of those promises and we will decide to to walk in them, to take God at his word and to live according to his promise, we will discover we have divine power and we have everything we need to be able to live a godly life, to be able to walk with God. We lack nothing. It was such an encouraging message. But then in chapter two, Peter addresses the false teachers that were amongst the people. And these false teachers were people who were coming and they were twisting the scriptures. They were, they were teaching this kind of cheap grace that says, hey, you know what? God loves you. Jesus died for you. You are forgiven of your sins and, and there's grace that covers all of your sin. So it doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't really matter how you live. God will forgive you. They were teaching this cheap type of grace, particularly in the area of sex and sensuality. They're saying it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Go out, enjoy, have sex with whoever you want to, as often as you want to, as many people as you want to, because God forgives you. There's God's grace. Not only that, they were getting money for this. In their own greed, they were exploiting people with this false teaching. Um, Peter introduces us to these false teachers in chapter 2. And today, in the second half, he, he dives deep. He continues on with the topic of these false teachers, and he hits them hard. (laughs) He hits them really, really hard. So we're going to look here first at verses 10 through 16 here. This is what he says. He says, bold and willful. He's talking about these teachers here. Bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels... Though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing." They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. 
They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So you could see here, um, just like what I talked about earlier, Peter is, is hitting these false teachers hard. He says, they have eyes full of adultery. So not only are they teaching this type of false sexual freedom because of the grace of God, but they definitely are practicing what they preach because their eyes are full of adultery. They are, they are living out this sexual sin themselves with full, full abandon. And their hearts are trained in greed, so they are, they are getting money from people to teach this falsehood to people. And you may think, well, why would people pay for this? Why would people teach for that? Well, there are many people out there who will happily pay teachers or give money to teachers who teach a, a false prosperity gospel, a false health and wealth gospel, which says that, hey, God just wants you to be happy. There's not supposed to be any pain and suffering in your life. If there is, there's something wrong. In fact, God wants to bless you, and that blessing also means financially you are meant to be wealthy and, and prosperous. And if you're not, there's something wrong with your life. And, and people flock to this. They're happy to support teachers like this. And I've been to conferences like this. I've seen this firsthand where the teacher will say, it's time to support my ministry. And if you do, God will bless you. He'll double what you give financially, triple what you give financially. And people are happy to give hundreds, thousands of dollars to this because they think that God is going to 10x their investment or 100x their investment in that false teacher's ministry. People are happy to give money to this type of ministry. It happens. And, and this was what was happening with these teachers and their false teaching. Now, going back here for one moment, um, these teachers also, what Peter's pointing out is they are so arrogant. They're bold and they're willful. What does he mean by this? What is he talking about here? When he says, they don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, uh, th there's some different opinions here amongst commentators and, and theologians, but uh, I think the majority opinion, and the one I agree with, is that what these false teachers are doing is they are speaking nonsense boldly and willfully even against demons. I know it's weird to call demons glorious ones, but it's, it's probably just a reference to the fact that they were angels and glorious in their nature, even though they've fallen. But these teachers are so arrogant that they will just talk nonsense about these demons and these spiritual realities and not even care about what may happen. You know, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if anybody here ever, you know, played Dungeons and Dragons. That was what I did. Some people did sports. Every day, I got together with my friends, Wilson and Vikas, 
and we would go over to Vikasa's house, and Sumit, his older brother, was our dungeon master, and we would play Dungeons and Dragons for three or four hours straight every single day. That's what we love to do. But you know, when you're in that, in that world, sometimes you'd hear about these people who would like really get into spells, and they would try to conjure demons and stuff, and I'd be like, whoa, 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 okay, we're not playing that game, all right? But you know those people who are like, ah, it's not a big deal. No, that's a big deal. Don't do that stuff. You don't know what you're doing. Here, these people, in, in whatever way it was, they're just, they're just being completely arrogant about this spirituality, and they're blaspheming these demonic spirits. And now, Peter is saying, this is so ridiculous because even angels, good angels, that are more powerful than these fallen angels, they don't even do that. They don't even go and talk smack and be like, oh, you're a fallen angel, what's up? They don't even do that. They, they, they just know better. For some reason, they don't do that, but these false teachers do that. When we look here, um, Jude, verses 8 to 10, we see the same thing here, right? In Jude, very similarly, it says, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. I know you may be like, what's going on there? But we'll talk about that another time. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Michael, the most powerful good angel there is, the archangel Michael, when he's face-to-face with the devil, the most powerful fallen angel, he doesn't even talk smack to him. (laughs) He doesn't. But he said, I ain't going to talk to you. The Lord rebuke you. Right? He said, I'm not, I'm not about that. So whatever's going on there, there's some type of spiritual reality where Michael knows, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave that to God. But these false teachers are talking smack about these, the spiritual realm. Peter's saying they're so arrogant. They don't know what they're talking about. And, and he describes them because of this as people who are, um, uh, what are they? They followed the way of Balaam. Go back one more here. He says they're like irrational animals. They're creatures of instinct. They're completely unaware of the spiritual realm. Look, Look at what Peter is doing here. He's drawing a division here. And let me illustrate it like this. What, what Peter is saying is this. As human beings, we are created as spiritual beings. That's how God made us. We have a spirit. We have a soul. Animals do not. Genesis chapter 1 talks about this. Chapter 2 talks about this. God has given us a spirit, a soul. And and we are meant to live spiritual lives. And what that means is pursuing the spirit of God, keeping in step with the spirit, seeking to know what the Spirit of God would want for us and how we should live, reading the Word of God to know what a spiritual life is like, praying to God so that our spirit can be in alignment with His. That's how we are meant to live. But when we, like these uh, teachers here, when we live simply by instinct, when we ignore these spiritual realities, which is what these teachers were doing, what were they saying? do whatever feels good. That's what they were saying, right? Sex with that person feels good, go have sex. Use your money on that, that feels good, use your money on that. Do whatever feels good because the grace of God is there. What Peter is saying is when you live like that, just based on your feelings, you're living by instinct. 
In fact, you're basically an animal, is what he's saying. Now, now think about that for a moment. And, and, and I think that, Peter, there's something here that he's saying that is so important. We are meant to live as spiritual beings. Only human beings were created with a spirit. It is an incredible privilege made in the image of God. We're meant to walk with God and to follow the spirit of God because we have the spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us. If you're a Christian, we're made spiritual. But when we just live a life of following whatever feels good, you're living like an animal. That's what Peter is saying. You're no different from an animal when you live that way. And, and, and we may do that. People around us do that all the time when it comes to sex. Isn't that what the message is nowadays? Just do whatever feels good. I was watching this movie a long time ago. Troy, anybody see this with Brad Pitt? Bad movie, so bad. Don't watch it. Save your money, save your time. It's a terrible movie. But I bring this up because I remember this one scene, you know, Helena Troy, right? The woman who sparked a war between Athens and Sparta and that whole thing. I was watching this scene where Helena of Troy is, she's married to Menelaus, the king, right? And then, you know, he is this brute of a man. He's like, like drinking and like, you know, just messy and smelly and all this stuff. And you look at that, you go, oh my gosh, nobody, no woman would want to be married to a man like that. And then what happens? Paris comes in, played by Orlando Bloom, right? And he comes in and he goes to, to Helen of Troy. He goes, come away with me. Come away with me, right? Do you remember this? And, and you look at Orlando Bloom, uh, the heartthrob. And, you know, would you rather be with him or would you rather be with Menelaus? And as I'm watching this movie, of course, everybody in the theater, everybody who's there is going, yeah, go with Orlando Bloom. Of course, look at him. Look at that heartthrob. Look at Legolas, right? Like, look at this man. Look at his skin. He's so handsome, so perfect. And of course, go away with him. And as I'm watching this and I'm thinking that, I'm going, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not her husband. Menelaus is her husband. Yeah, he's, he smells. He, he needs to groom his facial hair. He, he needs to stop belching and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's kind of true. But that's her husband. No, 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 Helen. Stay with your husband. That's adultery. Orlando Bloom, Paris, that's adultery. No, don't do that. But I was so sucked into this. I was like, of course, that looks like what would feel better. You should do that. You should pursue that. We're told this all the time. Go with what feels good. If sex feels good, if that sensual pleasure feels good, pursue it. But that's living by instinct. That's living like an animal. How often do we do this too? If we think about the way we make decisions in our life as well, think about how we make decisions with, with our money, um, with, with where we work, with where we live. Isn't so much of it, if we're not careful, driven by instinct, the instinct of comfort? Oh, yeah, I want bigger house, more comfortable. I want nicer house, more comfortable. I want job with less money or more money. Job with more money, buy more things, more comfortable. Live here or there, they're nicer, nicer weather, nicer place, better coffee. Of course, go there, right? We, without thinking about it, how many of us, let's be honest, when we go through life and our decisions, that's the way we make our decisions. And, and, and we're not praying. We're not seeking God. 
God, is this the right decision? Is this how I can make the most of my money? Is this where you want me to live? How will this affect my relationship with the church, with my brothers and sisters? How will this affect how I can live for you and what you want me to do with my short life? That's living by the Spirit. But if we just go with more, better, more comfortable, more money, we're living like animals. We're living by instinct. But, but isn't that how we live so often when we're not careful? Myself included. Peter is saying we end up falling into a trap of living by instinct. There's this trap where they take, um, where they trap monkeys and they take a log and they hollow it out and they carve a hole in it and they put a banana in the center of the log in the hollowed out place. And the monkey comes along and he sees the banana and he puts his hand through this hole and the hole is only big enough for his hand to go through like in an open way. But then he grabs the banana, and then he tries to get it out. You realize, oh, when he, because he makes a fist when he's holding this banana, he can't get the banana out. And so, so what happens is the, the hunter comes along now and comes to get the monkey, and you think the monkey sees the hunter, ah, right, drop the banana and run, but the monkey doesn't. The monkey holds onto this banana and stares at this hunter, and he's screaming, ah, the whole time, right? But he's trying to get this banana. He won't let it go. He refuses to let it go. So he's there, and his hand can't come out, and he, the, monkey, the hunter's getting closer to him, and the monkey's just staring there screaming, ah, at the hunter the whole time, and the hunter just grabs the monkey. This is like what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Those who desire to get rich, they fall into a trap, into a trap, and they pierce themselves with many pangs. We're like that monkey. We fall straight into this trap when we live by instinct. Banana. I want banana. Bigger house. More comfort. Living there. More money. Sex. It feels good. I want to do it. And we fall straight into this trap like instinct, refusing to let go. Peter is saying, don't live by instinct. When you do, you're an animal. You were made to live by the Spirit of God to keep in step with the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, how are you living? The promises of these false teachers are fake. He goes on here in verse 17, and he says, these are waterless springs, these teachers, they're teaching, and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. What is he saying here? He's saying, this teaching that says, do what you want, follow what feels good, it gives you freedom, it's a lie. It's a lie. It may feel good at first, but it will leave you empty. It's like you're in the desert and you're parched, you've run out of water and you see an oasis ahead of you. You're like, water, thank God. And you start running, running for that oasis and you get close and you see it and you run and you jump into it and you land in a pile of sand. Your mouth is filled with sand. There's no water. It was an illusion. And you end up thirstier and more parched than you were in the beginning. That's what Peter is saying this teaching is like. You think it's freedom, but it's not. It leaves you empty at the end of the day. That's what it does. That's how it leaves you. They were teaching freedom. They said Look, if we look earlier in chapter 2 from last week, they deny the master who bought them. You don't need God as your master. You can do what you want. Or we, we, we don't say that out loud, right? But we just choose to not listen to God 
and to do what we want, driven by instinct, driven by our flesh. As Chuck talked about last week in verse 10, they despise authority. Forget about those precious and very great promises of God. You don't need to do that. You can do what you want. Forget about the Word of God. They despise authority. Now, these are falsehoods, brothers and sisters, and I want to point out two falsehoods here that are extremely important. And the first is this. This freedom, as we see here in verse 19, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. This freedom actually leads to slavery. This freedom that these teachers promise. It actually leads to slavery. And I think we know this. This is true even our daily living, isn't it? You can say, stop nagging me. I want to eat whatever I want. You can't tell me what to eat. I'm free. I want to eat whatever feels good, whatever tastes good. I want to eat every new fried chicken sandwich that there is out there. I want, I want ice cream. I, I, want, I want fatty foods. Forget water. I want boba every meal. That's, that's how I want to eat. It tastes good. You can do that. You can say, I don't need to follow anybody's rules. I don't need to follow the, the medical. So I don't need to listen to my doctor. Forget that authority. I can eat whatever I want. You can do that, right? You have the freedom to do that. But it will lead to obesity, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, stroke. I don't hear any of the doctors saying amen here. Fred, you know, Albert, come on, right? Maybe they're like, oh, I don't eat that well myself. I don't know. It, it leads to poor health, inability to do the things that you want to do in life to keep up with your family, your children. You will die earlier. That's what it leads to. It's, it's freedom. You can eat whatever you want, but it actually leads to destruction and death. You can say, I can spend my money however I want. I can buy whatever I want. Remember when you're, if you went to college, remember the, the guys out there at the table saying, hey, sign up for this credit card and you get a free T-shirt? Remember that? They say, hey, come sign up for this credit card. $20,000 limit. 0% APR for 18 months. 0% APR? Yeah, you don't need to pay anything. Go spend whatever you want. $20,000 limit? I could buy that computer. Oh, I can go on that vacation. Oh, I can go eat wherever I want. This is awesome. I'm free. I can spend money however I want. You can do that. But then guess what happens after 18 months? You know what happens. 20% interest. You start having to make a payment. Your minimum payment is all you can afford, and it doesn't cover your interest charge. So your balance gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden, you are a slave to your debt. Like so many Americans are, you're enslaved, and it leads to bankruptcy. It leads to financial destruction. You can go and buy whatever you want. You can do that today. You can. If you got a credit card, you got some money. But it leads to slavery with that type of mentality. You can say, hey, this applies to people too. I am just going to be friends and relate with people that make me feel good. Oh, you want to talk to me and have a conversation about how I can be a better friend and there are some things I do that I'm a little insensitive? Forget you. New friend, please. You can do that, right? You can just look for people that make you feel good, that don't rub you the wrong way sometimes, they don't ever hurt each other and don't have to have any difficult conversations like real friends need to have. You can do that, but you will end up alone. 
or you'll end up with a bunch of superficial relationships, people who don't really know you and you don't really know, and you will feel empty and meaningless in these relationships. So you could do that. You could just do whatever feels good. You have the freedom to do that. But if you want meaningful relationships, there are rules. There are ways of doing things. We all know that this is true. Secondly, as well, and this is, this is super important to understand, we all have a master. Every one of us has a master. The question is, who is your master? You may think, ah, oh, you know, man, I don't want God to be my master. Or man, having to listen to God, having to obey His commands and all those things that's so burdensome, I just want to be free. I don't want God to be my master. I want to be free. I want to be the captain of my own soul. You can say that, but it's fake. It's not true. It's a lie because everybody has a master. If it's not God, it's somebody else or something else. That is totally true. You may say, you know, man, I, I, I don't want to have to live according to God's commands. I don't, it's such a burden. I don't want to have to care about what God thinks about me. You can say that. But how many of us, for us, we are actually, when we think we're being free, we are enslaved to what other people think of us. How many of us are actually enslaved to society in that way? I can prove it to you. How, how much of the stress and anxiety that you feel on a regular basis, how many of us feel stress and anxiety because you're concerned about how people think about you, what they'll think about you at work, what they'll think about you when you talk, what they think about you when you perform, when you play sports, when you do anything. How many of us feel stress and anxiety on a regular basis because of what people think about you? You're enslaved to those people. How much stress comes from your job because you want to be seen as successful? How many of us, we just always are so used to painting ourselves in a better light with other people, and, and we're afraid for people to see who we really are and our weaknesses and our shortcomings because you're afraid they won't accept you. You're enslaved to them. You're enslaved to what people think about you. How many of us are not using the gifts and the talents that God has given you to be able to serve Him or do things because you're afraid to fail? Because if you fail, people will laugh at you and they'll think you're a failure. You're enslaved to them. You're enslaved to people. How many of us, even when we pray, we're so concerned, we're afraid to pray because people will judge my prayer. I'm afraid to worship with my hands up or with all of my heart because people will look at me and say, oh, that guy's exuberant. How much of our lives constantly, constantly are we concerned about how people think about you? That's not freedom. You're enslaved to people, the fear of man, what people think about you. If you're not enslaved to what God thinks about you, if he's not your master, you may be enslaved to what people think about you. Or like what these false teachers were teaching. What about lust? You may be enslaved to lust. Oh, it's sexual freedom. Sleep with who I want to. Do what I want to. Do whatever feels good. You could do that. You could sleep with who you want to. You could do whatever you want. But eventually, maybe you find yourself, you, you, anytime you're in the presence of uh, an attractive woman or 
somebody that you find attractive, I'm talking to the, to the men, to the brothers here, you, your mind cannot help but go into sexual fantasy or thoughts. You're, you're enslaved to lust. Not to mention pornography or other things. Call it, we call that freedom, sexual freedom. But oh, I'm, I'm in this relation, I'm in, in this marriage, but there's another person. Man, that person makes me feel so good. Man, I wish I had the freedom to just, just go and be with that person instead because that feels good. Should I, why should I deny myself? I, I deserve it. You can do that. But some of you grew up in broken homes. Some of you grew up with parents that, that, that have been unfaithful, and you have lived with decades of this brokenness and pain, and you know firsthand how that's a lie and how that moment of passion of following what feels good led to decades of pain and destruction in the family and in your life, and you saw it firsthand. That doesn't lead to freedom. That leads to slavery. Brothers and sisters, it is, it is a falsehood what these teachers are teaching, that that is freedom. If you are not following God, if God is not your master, something else is. Nobody is completely free of influence in this world. If we're not serving God, we're serving something else. Like Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Why did He make it so binary? Because you're usually serving one or the other. If you don't serve God, you're probably serving money. Everybody has a master. The question is, who or what is your master? L let, me, let me make a plug at this moment, again, for Lent fasting. This is an incredible opportunity. If there is something that has overwhelmed you, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved, if there is something that is overcoming you in your life right now, fast from it. It's an opportunity to say, no, I don't want to be enslaved to this. I don't want this thing to be my master. I want God to be my master. Maybe social media is that. If you are up till 2 a.m. scrolling through TikTok, maybe that's you. Maybe that last night, that was you. Maybe that's you. And, and you're overcome by social media. And this is an opportunity to not be enslaved to that. Maybe alcohol is getting a little bit too much of a grip in your life. Fast from alcohol. During Lent, I don't want that to overcome me. God, maybe entertainment is, is, is grabbing a hold of you. Maybe distractions and laziness. Maybe that's, you know, that's why you procrastinate so much, right? Because we instinctively, like animals, want comfort. And doing our work is hard and not pleasant. So I'd rather find distractions and procrastinate because that is more comfortable. That is instinctual living as well. Maybe you need to fast from those things that are distracting you so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. We all have a master, brothers and sisters. Nobody is their own Lord. Who is your master is the question. Um, last few verses here, very importantly. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And what Peter is simply saying here is that those with greater knowledge have a greater responsibility. Those who have come to understand the grace of God, who have learned about the grace of God and what Jesus has done by dying upon the cross to save us from our sins so that we no longer need to be enslaved to our sin, to our flesh, to live like animals, but we can live for God. We have a greater responsibility to do that. And if we do not, there is a greater judgment that comes as well. We have a greater responsibility, brothers and sisters. And Peter says, man, if you, if you have gone to those retreats, if you have listened to that teaching, if you've read the Bible and you know that this is what God is calling us to, but you walk away from that, man, there is a greater judgment for you because of this. Jesus said in Luke, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. God has given us the grace of an incredible gift to know, to free us from enslavement and to follow Him. And He calls us to that, to follow Him and to, to be responsible with that greater knowledge that He has given us. Now, that brings up big questions, right? Um, the question of, well, does that mean somebody can be saved, can be a Christian, and then they can walk away? They can walk away from that knowledge? And I thought we were a Reformed church. What about Reformed, churching, reformed teaching? What about the five points of Calvinism? What about God's election? Well, I think verse 22 here is helpful. When Peter says what the proverb, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. What he's saying is this. You know, like you could take a pig and you could take it out of the mud and you can clean it off, right? You could hose it off, make it very, very clean. But what's that pig going to do? Once it's clean, it's going to run right back into the mud, isn't it? Why? Because that's what pigs do. That's what they do. See, what, what Peter is saying is that these people, it's not that they have come to truly know Jesus and then they've walked away from Him and they've lost their salvation. What he's saying is that they were a pig, they were a dog, they were something else all along. They never actually came to know Jesus. They never actually became believers. It was a superficial confession. It was something that they said, but they didn't really mean. That's what was happening here. As John said in 1 John 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. What John is saying is that if they were truly believers, they would have never have left us. Or if they left, it would have been for a short moment and they would have realized, man, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm enslaved to the wrong thing. They would have been like the prodigal son who was feeding the pigs and said, what am I doing? I need to go back to my father. That's what would have happened. And they would have come back and continued with them all along. Brothers and sisters, let me close by this. And I want to invite the worship team back up here with Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. 
It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died to set you free. And it is true freedom. And freedom doesn't mean doing whatever you want. Freedom means being free to be able to live as a human being in the way that you were designed to live as a spiritual person, walking with the Spirit of God, following the precious and very great promises of God. That's, that's what Jesus died for you to do. Yes, He owns you. He is your master. That is the truth. And nobody can follow Jesus. Nobody can be a Christian unless they're willing to take up their cross and follow after Him and declare that He is Lord. That's the truth. And we're not going to sugarcoat that. Jesus is Lord. He's your God. He's your master if you're going to be a Christian. But it is real freedom. It is real life. And the freedom of this world that is offered, doing what feels good, following your instincts, that's a lie that leads to destruction. It is a waterless pit. It's a mist that vanishes. It leads to pain and brokenness. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, my, my question for you, my challenge for you this morning is, how are you living? How are you living? Are you daily with your decisions in your relationships and how you live? Are you praying, God, I want to follow your spirit. God, I want to know what your spirit is saying. I want to live as a spiritual being. I want to keep in step with you. Or are you just going with what feels good? Comfort, money, more, more, prestige, fame, people saying nice things about me. Is that how you're living? That's an animalistic way to live. That's beneath you, beneath humanity. That's not how God made you to be. If you're in a rat race, you're a rat. You're an animal. God has made you for so much more. So much more. I want to challenge you today. Bring your heart before God and, 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 and if that's how you've been living, to say, God, give me freedom. Give me freedom. Give me freedom, Lord, from, from whatever you're enslaved to. Lust, money, the praises of people, whatever it is, comfort. Say, God, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my master. That's true life. That's life worth living. Let's stand together. Let's just come before the Lord right now.